This speech was gaslighting the American people. I saw this as a, as a psychotically incoherent speech with cookies and dog poop. <laughs> well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Other than that, what did you think? I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From Pacifica with you. Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and in Eureka on KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR. In New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN. In Fayetteville, Arkansas on KPSQ, Seattle's KODX, Goldendale, Washington's KVGD, and in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day, so you can't avoid us. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, amongst others. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Well, on uh, Tuesday night... Still, President Donald Trump delivered his second official State of the Union address to a joint session of Congress. It came a week later than originally scheduled, thanks to his 35-day shutdown of the federal government over his demands for $5.7 billion in taxpayer money, not Mexican pesos, to build a southern border wall. Uh, they, uh, that's a continuing demand, seemingly, that could once again shut down the government in less than 10 days' time. It was uh, actually Trump's third appearance before a joint session in the uh, congressional chamber since his first delivered just weeks after his 2017 inauguration is not, for reasons that are still unclear to me, considered to be an official State of the Union address. But the good news here is that if all goes well, we will only have to sit through one more of these in the Trump era. But let's not get overly optimistic just yet, shall we? It was a bit of a Jekyll and Hyde affair on Tuesday night as Democratic Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer characterized Trump's lengthy State of the Union address today. The New York Times described a speech that was, quote, embedded with patriotic language and delivered in a reassuring tone, which veered between two moods, combative and conciliatory, reflecting a president at a crossroads ahead of an uncertain 2019. There's very little nice to say about it. It's sort of like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and the excitement and the enthusiasm was all in the Mr. Hyde parts 
Schumer opined to CNN today after he had reportedly been described by Donald Trump as a, quote, mean son of a bitch. During an off-record meeting with news anchors just hours before the Tuesday night address, which White House aides had touted as one that would seek unity and bipartisan cooperation. Schumer said you can't talk about comity and working together and give a speech that is so divisive. In the areas where he tried to reach out, drug prices, transportation, infrastructure, there was no meat, there was no enthusiasm. All the enthusiasm, he said, was for the divisive uh, parts of the speech, like immigration, abortion, things like that. So, he says, it was not a good speech. The American people, however, appear to disagree at least according to early polling, finding a majority of those who watched the address uh, gave the president positive marks, including those who identified as Republicans, as expected, but also a large majority of those who described themselves as independents. After failing to congratulate the new Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, on the heels of November's historic Democratic blue wave that set uh, that uh, swept a uh, diverse Democratic majority back into power. Trump did, at least later in the speech, congratulate and seem to actually take credit, in fact, for the record number of women, vastly Democrats, of course, now serving in the U.S. House. As those Democratic elected women uh, officials presented a striking visual tableau, I think, all dressed proudly in a sea of suffragette white on Tuesday night, leaving an indelible visual impression on the evening, particularly when they stood up to cheer and congratulate each other during Trump's remarks referencing uh, women finally gaining the right to vote in the U.S. nearly 100 years ago. All Americans can be proud that we have more women in the workforce than ever before. Don't sit yet. You're going to like this. <laughs> and exactly one century after Congress passed the constitutional amendment giving women the right to vote, we also have more women serving in Congress than at any time before. Donald Trump uh, was, as you heard there, collegial and, and good-natured at times, which was a bit of a surprise uh, to me, frankly. Uh, that was arguably one of uh, the Dr. Jekyll moments, I guess, that Schumer may have been referring to uh, in a speech that was overall a bit of a hodgepodge of various ideas seemingly slapped together in random order and largely retreaded from Trump rallies and speeches and Fox News appearances past, sometimes switching from one Jekyllish topic to a darker Mr. Hyde moment with barely a pause in between. For example, he cited one of the very few, I think, new policy positions of his in a speech quite short on that, actually calling for a federal paid parental leave program 
an idea likely supported by Democrats that would allow parents to enjoy paid time off with their new family after uh, after having a baby. But then he almost immediately turned to a false claim that New York state lawmakers recently, quote, cheered with delight upon the passage of legislation that would allow a baby to be ripped from the mother's womb moments before birth. He went from a call to fund research to end childhood cancer to a call for privatizing America's public education system with charter schools without even pausing for a period, much less a paragraph mark. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Trump, if you will. But if majorities of Republicans approved of the address as filled with all manner of falsehoods, exaggerations and self-aggrandizing statistics that were sort of correct, but left out hugely important context, it was no doubt the sometimes graphic and violent Mr. Hyde moments of Trump's speech, particularly when he, as he did throughout much of uh, the remarks, continued to... uh, continued the campaign call, really, for a for a southern border wall uh, as the most important way to prevent what he still describes, despite all evidence to the contrary, as an immigration and humanitarian crisis on our southern border. Comedy Central's The Daily Show stitched together some of those moments that, uh, like the sea of women dressed in white on the Democratic side of the aisle, also left an indelible impression of both this president and this presidency. As we speak, large, organized caravans are on the march to the United States. Ruthless coyotes, cartels, drug dealers, human traffickers, and sex traffickers, criminal, illegal aliens, child smuggling. The savage gang, MS-13, 4,000 killings or murders sadistic traffickers very dangerous border killings or murders as is the tradition after such affairs here on the broadcast we are joined by some of our favorite longtime guests to help make sense and i wish them luck of both trump's state of the union as well as the democratic rebuttal from progressive georgia democrat stacy abrams one of the best such opposition responses i believe i have ever seen by the way uh first of course our producer desi doyan is here with us as ever good day desiree did you enjoy tuesday night's state of the union address i would not have used the word enjoy I was there. You was there. Okay. Uh, Also joining us, uh, presumably was there, is our old friend Eric Bollert, longtime political media critic and author of Bloggers on the Bus, formerly of Media Matters and Share Blue, now a regular Daily Coast contributor. Mr. Bollert, welcome back, my friend. Did you enjoy the evening? Uh, Same response. Same response. Uh, Look, you know, just real quick, I mean... These, these State of the Unions are, are typically the least awful thing Trump does on any given week uh, because it's a prepared speech. It's poorly written. He delivers it poorly. Uh, but there are moments where he does uh, uh, appeal to independence, and, and then he goes back to the crazy. So, I mean, to me, the overall is that this was essentially a, a waste of time. His proposals are a joke. And I understand why maybe a handful of independents looked at it and said, well, gee, that's not so bad. But he'll erase that memory by Thursday, automatically. (laughs) No, you're absolutely right. Uh, Of course, uh, once he gets to Twitter, uh, almost always uh, with us in uh, in the wake of landmark Donald Trump moments, it seems, either good ones or bad, 
Have there been any good ones? Heather Digby Parton is the Hillman Prize winner for opinion and analysis journalism. She writes at both Salon.com and Digby's Hullabaloo. Welcome back to the broadcast, Ms. Parton. Well, thanks for having me, Brad. I, I just, uh, I have to say, I don't know what, what Eric is talking about. I mean, Newt Gingrich wrote <laughs> today that uh, every once in a while, I'm quoting, every once in a while a speech is so effective and powerful it changes the trajectory of history. President Trump's 2019 State of the Union address was that kind of speech. So, you know, I mean, I'm telling you, if you're watching Fox or you're reading the Fox website, yeah, I, you know, you got to be wondering whether Eric's really, he's, he's living in an alternate universe. Here. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you, uh, Heather. I think uh, De- uh, Desi and Eric are both just so cynical. It's just Weird. ugly, yeah. ugly, especially when you had a president who was uh, promising to reach out uh, for a call for unity and so forth. Uh, now, of course, the most noticed remark from Trump, I think the most noticed, uh, came near the top of his speech uh, when he insisted that we simply cannot move forward in this country unless people stop investigating him <laughs> and his administration. An economic miracle is taking place in the United States, and the only thing that can stop it are foolish wars, politics, or ridiculous partisan investigations. If there is going to be peace and legislation, there cannot be war and investigation. It just doesn't work that way. No, actually... Actually, I think it does. Now, as I said, Trump's aides had they had themselves set expectations that this was to be a speech, excuse me, calling for unity and bipartisanship. Heather calling for American greatness. Never mind that he attacked Chuck Schumer just hours before the speech uh, on Twitter and reportedly called him a mean son of a bitch and said President uh, Vice President, uh, former President Vice President Joe Biden was not very smart and was dumb. Uh, but other than that, Heather, did the address meet the bar that the White House themselves had set out in, 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 uh, for him to meet in a call for unity in any way? Well, I mean, if, he, if the idea was to unify the Republicans, then, yeah, I, it obviously worked. I mean, you, you talked, yeah, you, know, you mentioned earlier that the numbers show that his speech was well-received, and it was, it was. But the vast majority of people who who watched it were Republicans, and that's often true of these State of the Union addresses, unless there's some big crisis, like I think after 9-11, I think Bush's speech was, you know, watched by both parties equally. But most of the time, it's, it's a partisan audience. And only 24% of the people who watched it were, were Democrats. I mean, you know, those of us who are on this, you know, show right now, are among the very few in the country uh, who of, of our political persuasion who even bothered. And even the independents that were on there, I assume that most of them are the normal Republican-leaning independents who, who, who watched it. So by their, by their um, you know, measure, mm-hmm. I think they probably did what they wanted to do. And it gives them the ability to say stupid things like Newt Gingrich said. You know, look, he's reaching out and they're slapping down his hand and he's trying and all that. I mean... There is nobody, no president in American history 
who is less authentic sounding than Donald Trump when he's calling for unity and bipartisanship. And they know it. I mean, the reason that his followers like him so much is that he isn't that guy, that he's a fighter, right? He, he goes after the Democrats. He gives no quarter. He's a, he's a, he's a down and dirty uh, partisan fighter. That's what they like about him, and that's what he likes to do. But then he says this sort of stuff in this lugubrious way, and, you know, he's, he, it's completely inauthentic. But they can say, you know, they can then go and say, see, he's trying, and they just won't meet him halfway. So I think that to that extent, I think he accomplished what probably what he set out to accomplish. Well, the, uh, Eric, uh, in my opinion, uh, frankly, uh, I think that that was just about the best State of the Union, this may be unpopular, but I think it was about the best State of the Union address that this particular president could have given. Now, I realize that is not saying much, but right. the, the fact that it had almost zero news in it, I think, is actually a good thing, either by way of you know actual news, other than he now has a date for a second summit with Kim Jong-un later this month, or news of him screwing something up by... Uh, or, or saying something completely obnoxious or ridiculous. I think that's just about as good as we're ever going to be able to expect from this president, it seems to me, uh, Eric. So I think this will help him, no? Well, again, it'll help him for 24 hours or whatever <laughs> until he does something ridiculous and offensive and people will forget about it. But your point is a valid one. Uh, you know, he didn't mention the shutdown. Uh, that was supposedly his pride and joy. He has been talking about the shutdown since late December. He told Chuck Schumer at the Oval Office, I'll be happy to uh, be the author of it. We go through this ridiculous, pointless shutdown. Uh, he claims he has changed the nation's mind about the wall during the shutdown. Uh, and then he doesn't mention it during the State of the Union speech. So, yeah, I mean, that was part of the non-news uh, uh, um, element of the whole thing. Mm -hmm. He could have announced, you know, uh, we need a state of emergency. That's the only because uh, obviously that's the only possible way he would he would start the process to try to get the money for the wall, which would then go to the courts for years and years. I assume he didn't do that, um, and and so and and, and his uh, his proposals were kind of these comically uh, thin and poorly thought out and poorly financed. You know, we're going to cure cancer. Okay, uh, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. None of it was meant really to be taken seriously and as you as you noted earlier really just a long laborious laundry list and you say well that's every every state of the union is like that um you know i i mentioned on twitter last night i mean the press used to crucify bill clinton when his mm -hmm. state of the unions ran long yeah. right he's a yeah. narcissist people would start counting all the times he said i and me the, but, but the point is, he was engaged in all of that. He believed all that minutia. He stayed up nights helping rewrite all this stuff. He was, uh, he was obsessed with policy. Trump could barely keep his, uh, you know, really barely keep his eyes open. It just went on forever. And, and just uh, one other last quick point. I mean, the only part he really seemed interested in was the wall. Yep. Uh, and the immigration hate. He has been making this pitch for a wall since the summer of 2015. He has not convinced 10 people in this country in three years to come over to his side on the wall. The Republican Party doesn't care about the wall. He hasn't moved the needle on the public polling on this wall for three-plus years. And so it was interesting. That was the only thing to me he really seemed animated about, and it's an argument he has lost for three years. And I just saw a headline today. He's going to have some rally this week to talk about the wall. 
I mean, he is just banging his head against the wall. Nobody, <laughs> no pun intended. Yeah. And nobody cares. The Republic, you can't find three senators, Republican senators, who care about this wall. So it, to me, that, that's where his heart is, and his heart's in a topic that nobody cares about. Oh, that is so totally true. And, you know, you're right that that was the only thing that he gave specifics and data right. on. And all of the specifics and data that he gave was wrong. It was incorrect. <laughs> it was uh, misleading. Well, um, so, you know, I me, I was just waiting for the point where the corporate media says, well, he finally became president last night. Well, I'm saying it. He okay. finally became president <laughs> last night. Uh, well, and actually, we'll talk uh, about some of the specific, uh, uh, of course, the wall uh, in a moment here. Uh, but uh, because he finally became president last night, Heather, I, you um, <laughs> know, in fact, here's here's something, and I know I'm maybe I'm reaching here, but Heather, he seemed to do much better to actually be more comfortable and happy when he said stuff that got approval from the Democrats, like those cheers from that sea of uh, Democratic women dressed in white. So is there any possibility that he will notice how much more he enjoyed, enjoyed himself, enjoyed getting accolades from Democrats, and that he might actually start proposing things that Democrats can actually support? Or am I out of my mind, Heather? Um, you're out of your mind. That's what uh, I thought. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, well, you know, look, he loves, he would love to get the approval, I think, of Democrats. It's not, it's not that he doesn't yeah. want that. I mean, he's that kind of a guy, right? I mean, mm -hmm. he, he, uh, I mean, he may welcome their hatred in certain levels, but he'd love to, he loves to be cheered. Right. He doesn't care, really. I mean, whatever, whatever makes him happy. But he doesn't know how to make the connection between proposals and doing that. And what he also doesn't realize is that for every person that you make happy on that side, you're going to make unhappy on the other side. So the minute that any of his people balk, which we saw on the shutdown, right? I mean, the re they had a deal last December. They were going mm -hmm. to keep the government going. They were going to, you know, put off for I don't know how long it was, but it was for several weeks. They were going to try and negotiate on the wall and keep the government open. And Ann Coulter and Rush Limbaugh and the rest of them called him a, called him a wuss. And um, so he backed off on that. So, you know, he, he will not, under any circumstances, do anything that might irritate that base of his. That is, that is his real security blanket. And it's going to get worse for, for him. I mean, the idea that, he's, that he would care about Democrats enough to uh, just co sort of back off on the idea that, they, uh, that they're wrong to be holding these investigations. Mm -hmm. Well, this afternoon, um, you know, Adam Schiff announced that they were, in, in fact, the, the Daily Beast referred to it as supercharged, the Intelligence Committee investigations. He announced a full array of new uh, investigations and probes that they're looking into starting right now. They've hit the ground running. And his reaction to that was Adam Schiff is a hack, and he's just doing it to raise his political profile. So, you know, I, I just I don't have any hope whatsoever that he has the capacity or even really the desire to, to lead the whole country. He's not shown one moment other than being happy that the ladies in white were dancing in the aisles, you know, for a few <laughs> minutes. That was, that was it. That was his one moment of bipartisan joy.
Well, I know he he could have had many more, uh, but I guess he chose not to and to just keep watching Fox News. And that means that even if he does come up with, uh, you know, some comedy, some uh, agreement with uh, with Democrats as they had last December, he's just going to flip on Fox News and see uh, Ann Coulter. Well, essentially flipping him off. Let's take a quick break here and we'll come back with more from Eric Bollert, Desi Doyen and Heather Digby Parton here on the broadcast. We'll get into some of these specifics on, yeah, of course, on immigration, because that was, even though he talked about all sorts of things, that was the, if there was a through line, it was immigration, it was the wall, it was scaring and or feeding his base, that red meat. Uh, They all will be back along with me. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is the Bradcast. Five major corporations now control more than 80 percent of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100 percent independent, 100 percent listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. We must reject the politics of revenge, resistance, and retribution. We must choose between greatness or gridlock, results or resistance, vision or vengeance, incredible progress or pointless destruction. Tonight, I ask you to choose greatness. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast with your friend Brad Friedman and Desi Doyen and my guests Heather Digby Parton and Eric Bowler talking about Tuesday night's State of the Union address. Uh, welcome back to it. There was uh, a lot of things said, as I uh, noted in the previous segment, in no particular order during the speech, but almost as striking. Uh, was what was not said, uh, a bunch of stuff conspicuously absent on Tuesday night. Nothing about climate change, despite countless deadly storms and floods and wildfires over this past year, which was uh, confirmed, by the way, uh, by, uh, by the way, today to be the fourth hottest across the globe since record keeping began. Nothing about gun violence, despite countless killings. Uh, over the past year, uh, nothing about DACA or Dreamer kids, uh, despite hundreds of thousands of young immigrants who remain uncertain about their future. Children ripped from their uh, parents' uh, arms at the southern border. Nothing about that. Thousands of those kids still separated from their parents. Nothing about transgender troops serving proudly in the U.S. military as Trump is planning to ban them and throw them out, or even the hundreds of thousands of nothing about the uh, furloughed workers, federal workers, uh, despite being out of uh, work for 35 days uh, or forced to work without pay during the uh, recent shutdown. But he did spend a lot of time on the wildly exaggerated, if not out-and-out, false claims about immigration and the border. Here's one of them that drew predictable groans from Democrats. Republicans and Democrats must join forces again to confront an urgent national crisis. Congress has 10 days left to pass a bill that will fund our government, protect our homeland, 
and secure our very dangerous southern border. And putting the ruthless coyotes, cartels, drug dealers, and human traffickers out of business. As we speak, large, organized caravans are on the march to the United States. I have ordered another 3,750 troops to our southern border to prepare for this tremendous onslaught. This is a moral issue. The lawless state of our southern border is a threat to the safety, security, and financial well-being of all America. Uh, Heather, did you get any idea one way or another from his uh, from his speech there how he plans to proceed in just about eight or nine days now when the federal government is set to shut down again? Seems like a normal president would have taken this opportunity to sort of lay out his 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 plan or his his proposal or his demands. No. Well, you would have thought so. But, you know, he's been trying out various ideas over the past few weeks or two, mm-hmm. uh, as he's, you know, realizing that he's coming up against a wall. Evidently, uh, again with again, the pun, but yeah. um, uh, evidently Mitt, Mitch McConnell and other members of the Senate, and I assume of the House as well, are really leery about him him uh, calling for this national emergency mm-hmm. um, and using that measure to try and, and, you know, move money around to build this wall. Um <clears throat> I actually find that really weird because, to me, what my observation about how Republicans operate is that they have no problem with hypocrisy whatsoever. So this idea that they're <laughs> concerned about the Democrats setting a precedent, I, I don't get why they care because they can just come back and say, well, no, <laughs> that's, yeah. that was different, and this is now, and no, you can't do it. So I, I don't really understand it, and, I, I, and, I, and it seems weird to me that they think the courts are, are evidently going to allow it, which I think is kind of far-fetched, although who knows? I mean, maybe they will. But nonetheless, uh, this whole thing is a little mystifying to me. But he's been trying to say, and this has really been hilarious for the last couple of weeks, that the wall is already being built. I mean, he's tweeted that he, had met, he actually signed contracts in the Oval Office during the shutdown, he said this week that he and Jared met with contractors mm-hmm. as if, you know, they were going to hash out a deal there in the Oval, <laughs> you know, and well, sign, sign, the, sign the letter of intent or whatever, which is not how government works. And he's trying to sort of give this idea that the, that the wall that already exists, it's not a wall, it's a series of, you know, fences mm-hmm. across a, in various places, that by refurbishing them, which is always happening, that somehow or another he's actually building the wall. And I suspect that a fair number of his people, his followers, maybe most of them, maybe all of them, would say, fine, we believe you, you know, the dear leader. Dear leader says it's so, it must be so. Well, they're, they're... But, of course, you have Ann Coulter and some of these other people who are very serious about this wall, and they are going to give him hell if he doesn't do something. So he's really in between a rock and a hard place. I had always believed he would call for the, for the emergency. It seemed like the only face-saving uh, mm-hmm. way out for him. But now I'm not so sure. I mean, maybe, he tr- maybe, maybe Mitch and the rest of them have finally, you know, sort of, you know, go- persuaded him that that's not a good thing to do. So well, I, don't, I honestly don't know where he goes from Well, there. there is uh, 33 miles of new 
border fencing wall. I don't know what they called it. That actually was approved by Republicans and Democrats last year and that they are now uh, the bulldozers are now showing up uh, down at, for example, the National Butterfly Center down uh, on the uh, in uh, on the Rio Grande. They're about to they're trying to move out a a century old uh, Catholic mission chapel that is right on the banks of the river there to try to make way for these 33 miles of new whatever. So I suspect that's probably what he's referring to. And I guess we can all act like that's his uh, his wall, but it's going to require <laughs> helping, helping make yeah. some coherence out of what he's been saying. Right. It's also going to require a bunch of eminent domain, however, to remove those uh, remove those pesky private landowners who live on the banks of the river. Eric, did you notice uh, during those groans, by the way, uh, how Nancy Pelosi, I know you you uh, give hell to the media. You have for years, Eric, uh, this notion that uh, Dems in disarray whenever there's any problem at all. Did you notice during those groans how uh, Speaker Pelosi just sort of waved her hand and <laughs> and they stopped immediately? She was, she was great last night, and there was uh, the, her infamous clap, her her sarcastic clap to Trump, which created these amazing videos and images. And 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 she is just she is just able to capture our feelings about Trump in such a wonderful and distinct and 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 powerful way. And last night, um, she spoke for a lot of people. Um, you know, and, and back to the wall thing, and it's really just. You know, the point is that Democrats have been voting to throw money at border security, billions yep. for not a wall but other stuff. And any sane person would have taken that and just declared victory. Um, and as Heather said, you know, Republicans thought they were going to last December. But he is such a narcissist, and he is such a creature of mass media. And when he sees... Laura Ingram saying mean things about him on his TV in the executive wing, <laughs> he can't really deal with that. So, and it's amazing that the wall was such a big part of last night. And 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 you played that clip about his his description of this dystopian um, uh, Southwest America. Hellscape. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and we've seen article after article. Mayor after mayor, governor after governor, all along the Southwest saying, there's nothing, there's nothing here. We're fine. Just send everyone home. So it's really amazing when you take a couple steps back, the cornerstone, and it makes perfect sense, the cornerstone of the State of the Union, and then quickly becoming the cornerstone of his presidency, is a complete fabrication. I mean, it's, it's, we've always been at war with East Asia type of <laughs> propaganda. And mm. it's really just mind-boggling, but in a way it makes perfect sense and that a fabrication is, is the centerpiece of his presidency. Of course. Uh, it's an imaginary presidency, an imaginary centerpiece, uh, but it's all too real to us. And, and I should note, by the way, when I had mentioned those uh, 33 miles of a new whatever fencing wall, border, whatever uh, barrier on the Rio Grande, that, yeah, those folks down there are all against it. They are fighting like hell. We've had uh, folks on this show who are working sure. like hell to keep keep this from happening. Their property value, obviously, is going to plummet. They've been living for generations on a river. Now they're going to live behind a wall. Uh, one of the uh, points to back up your thought there, Eric, um, we saw on MSNBC last night after Trump had said, uh, where's the quote here? The border city of El Paso, Texas. Right. 
used to have extremely high rates of violent crime, one of the highest in the country and considered one of our nation's most dangerous cities. Uh, he said now with a powerful barrier in place, El Paso is one of our safest cities. But Cal Perry, an NBC reporter, spoke to the El Paso County Sheriff about Trump's remarks uh, at the State of the Union and about El Paso being one of the most crime-ridden cities. Uh, here's, uh, here's Cal Perry reporting on what the sheriff had to say about that. Sheriff Richard Wiles, directly after the speech, quote, it is sad to hear President Trump state falsehoods about El Paso, Texas, in an attempt to justify the building of a 2,000-mile wall. The facts are clear. While it is true that El Paso is one of the safest cities in the nation, it has never been considered one of the nation's most dangerous cities. And El Paso was a safe city long before a wall was built. He finishes by saying, President Trump continues to give a false narrative about what a great city that truly represents what this great nation is all about. The facts and statistics on this are clear. Crime was falling in the years before the wall went up in this part of Texas in El Paso in 2008. What you hear there from the sheriff of El Paso County has been echoed by sheriffs all across Texas. We met with the sheriff of Hidalgo County last week. He said the president's, one of the president's biggest problems is when he visits down here, he is not meeting with sheriffs on the counties, those 31 counties in Southern Texas that border Mexico. The sheriff said when he came down here for his meeting in McAllen, he simply did not speak to any of them. So he doesn't know, I guess, or doesn't want to know uh, that everything is actually pretty fine at the border, uh, Heather. Are, were there, you know, the, the fact checkers like that, uh, as must happen now every day, are, you know, we're working overtime last night and again today. Were there any favorite, I guess, let's say non-wall related lies and or omissions uh, that you heard from the president last night, Heather, that demands on-air correction. And keep in mind, this is only an hour-long program. So. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, yeah, I don't think we've got time for that. Oh, there were many. Uh, one thing I just want to say, just to finish up that thing about El Paso, yeah. Trump is going to hold his first rally of 2019. Guess where he's holding it next Monday? In El, El Paso. Paso. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Isn't that great? Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it, so it, going back to your original, um, you know, question when we first started about whether or not any of this, you know, this alleged comedy and, and bipartisanship was sincere, yeah, I think that pretty much says it all, don't you? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there was it, there are so many things. Look, I mean, this guy, and I think Eric makes a really, really perspicacious observation uh, about the fact that his primary, you know, the, the fundamental, most important issue of his presidency is a made-up issue, that there is, that there is no uh, crisis at the border. I mean, immigration, illegal immigration is down. These refugees have been coming up from Central America for a while. I mean, we can handle it. It's not a lot of people. It's basically, you know, this is just, it, it's better than status quo, actually, at the, at the border, and has been for some time. It waxes and wanes, always has. Not a crisis, not a big deal. Any other president, it would just be something going on in the background. But it's something he seized upon, and which makes his, um, you know, frankly, racist base, uh, you know, excited. It gives them something to rally around. And, and uh, so, you know, th that says everything about him. There is nothing that he says, and, I, and we haven't even talked about foreign policy, which is the thing that scares the hell out of me, if you want mm -hmm. to know the truth. Um, but, I mean, this is, this is the hallmark of his presidency, is that 
virtually everything. I mean, how many lies that they're counting them up now? It's something over 8,000 lies he's mm. told. I mean, he told oh, wow. Seriously. I mean, there are people keeping lists. <laughs> I saw it tracked as one every two minutes during yeah, the last something night's like that. Uh, you know, State I mean, he's, yeah. he just, I mean, everything. And, and this, of course, is a prepared speech, you know, written by committee. And yet the fact checkers went wild with that, too. It's even in, in the case where they have the time, where he's not speaking off the cuff, he doesn't tell the truth. And, and his, you know, the, 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 the he's operating on an alternate reality. I mean, uh, the, the border, again, just one more point. The caravan that he's talking about, you know, probably, I don't know, maybe, Eric, I don't know how much you're watching of Fox News these days, but I know, mm. you, I know you have in your, in your <laughs> career, watched more than you care to, uh, care to remember. But right now, the car- this caravan that he was talking about is plastered morning, noon, and night all over Fox News. It's pretty much all they're talking about. It's an invasion, a huge invasion. They're marching toward the border, and Trump is going to send troops down to the border to block the border. I mean, he just announced that today. Uh, more troops down to the border to physically block this, this, this invasion of the caravan. Now, the rest of us that are living in the regular world I didn't know about this, did you? I mean, it's just, it's not, and it's not because they're not covering it, it's because it's not happening. It's not real, yeah. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, I mean, this, this is the world that he's, that he's sort of, you know, I mean, he didn't create it. Obviously, Fox has been doing this stuff for years, and the right-wing media, you know, we've been talking about that as long as, you know, we've been talking about anything in politics the last 20 years, but... But he has taken it to a new level where actually Fox News is setting the agenda. I mean, they're not, yeah. they, you know, the president gets his information. He doesn't listen to the intelligence briefings. He listens to Steve Ducey and Brian Kilmeade, and they tell him what's going on. <laughs> they give him his intelligence briefings, basically. So, I mean, this is a very strange situation that we're in, very very disorienting. And, and, and one point, uh, since you wouldn't, well, I was going to say, since you didn't answer my question, I'll answer my question <laughs> about favorite lies, but uh, this actually does have oh, to sorry. do with the wall. No, that's okay, <laughs> because this does have to do with the wall, and what you said about when he goes off message. Uh, do we have the clip uh, four? Yeah, play uh, clip four there. I want people to come into our country in the largest numbers ever. But they have to come in legally. So, so apparently that comment about in the largest number ever was not in the prepared text, that that was an ad lib. And it is the opposite of his actual policy, which is actually cutting right. legal immigration at the same time, Eric. Yeah. And, and um, so it, it, it's everything is inverse. And, and Democrats who would listen to that and say, well, we could have had an immigration deal in 2013 when 68 senators passed a bill in the Senate and Republicans haven't voted on it since. Uh, just a quick point about Heather's point about mm-hmm. Fox News and the conservative media and what's so interesting and so important. In the Bush years, when Fox really came to power, uh, you know, it was the exact it was the exact reversal. Carl Rove was, would literally call Roger Ailes each morning, explain to him, these are the talking points, these, this is the news, this is how we're going to frame it. Roger Ailes would then send it to his number two, who would send out a memo every day. So that was the pipeline. And as Heather points out, it's now been reversed, right? It's now Fox and Friends, which is essentially sending a daily memo to the White House, this is the news, this is the talking points, this is how you're going to frame it. So we're all, 
doomed. But um, uh, back to the speech, you know, the yeah. abortion part to me was really interesting. This is a guy who lived for 20 years in New York politics, basically trying to pretend he was a Rockefeller Republican or whatever, pro-choice, sleeping with everybody, you know, has his mistresses. And now he's becoming, he's trying to fashion himself into Jerry Falwell Jr. Mm-hmm. And not only that, he, the, the, the fantasy that he created last night about third trimester, basically nine-month-old babies being murdered in the uh, delivery room. Which is totally as false. Sort, as, as for, yeah, as sort of tri- third trimester. Of, I mean, it was pure fantasy. It, it literally doesn't happen in this country. I don't think it happens anywhere in the world. And he's describing this as the Democratic policy official agenda. So he's not only transformed himself from you know, pro-choice to anti-choice. Last night, he used a national platform to describe this insane premise about six, seven, eight-month-old children being murdered by doctors while their parents look on gleefully or something. I mean, it was amazing. To me, it was just... It it comes, uh, as you suggest, it comes straight from Fox News, and he believes it. And that is, you know, they obviously set the agenda. And to that point, and to uh, Heather's earlier point about uh, some foreign policy here, let me transition uh, to this by, by noting that back in, um, well, I guess it was 2008, uh, when uh, Barack Obama was running against John McCain, I was actually on. Uh, I was invited on to Fox News at uh, one point to to, I thought, talk about election fraud issues with uh, John Fund, who was one of the great GOP voter fraud fraudsters. Yep. And instead, for some reason, they changed the topic. Uh, to have us talk about something completely unrelated, I suspect because John Fun knew that I knew what I was talking about and didn't want to debate me. But they asked about whether they asked about socialism, and it was the first time I had heard Fox News actually uh, do that and say something like, "Is is Barack Obama a socialist?" And I think I pointed out that that's a code word for you know communist or Marxist. Way back then, well, now they're ramping that up big time. Uh, during the speech last night, uh, Trump restated his case against Venezuelan uh, President Nicolas Maduro and in support of opposition leader Juan Guaido, uh, who has declared himself the president of Venezuela. And apparently the U.S. is supporting that policy, despite that he wasn't elected. Uh, But Trump then used the opportunity, of course, to bash socialism in general ahead of the 2020 election. Here in the United States, we are alarmed by the new calls to adopt Socialism in our country. America was founded on liberty and independence and not government coercion, domination and control. We are born free and we will stay free. Tonight, we renew our resolve that America will never be a socialist country. Uh, now, Heather, uh, very quickly, because I want to get one more question to you and Eric before we take a break and come back and talk about Stacey Abrams. Uh, but was was that uh, just about, you know, as much about setting up 2020 as anything else? This idea that uh, 
what they're going to do is run against socialism, no matter who the Democratic candidates happen to be? Sure it is, and it's it, it basically what that is, is to try and bring back into the fold any of those, you know, sort of more affluent suburban voters that, that they lost in the 2018 election. It, I found it very interesting because, because Trump, that, that's one of the only times I've ever heard him even say the word freedom. You know, that used to be the staple of the right wing. Mm. I mean, they were all about, you know, freedom and you know, anti-socialism was, was you know, part, definitely a big part of their thing. It's ideology, right? Mm-hmm. And Trump doesn't speak in ideological terms. That's not his, his way. And it sounded weird coming from him. Mm. But I think you're right. I think that it is setting that up. And, of course, you know, we, we know who they're going to be, you know, using as their straw men to call socialists and, and do that with. But it, it definitely was them looking forward to placing the um, whoever the Democratic nominee is uh, for president and, and others uh, running for Congress and for the Senate as well as, you know, outside the mainstream and being, you know, and that, believe me, you're going to hear more about Venezuela than you ever wanted to, to know over yep. the next couple of years, for sure. And at the same time, Eric, um, he he was saying that we, we cannot, great nations do not fight endless wars, trying to support his uh, pullback from uh, Syria and Afghanistan, I guess. Um, and he announced that uh, that they are now negotiating with the other side in Afghanistan and basically said that they are now negotiating, working with the Taliban. Uh, Eric, what would have happened if Barack Obama had announced that he was negotiating with the Taliban in Afghanistan? Right. The, uh, the impeachment hearings were started today. Look, yeah. it, Trump, Trump can literally do anything. I mean, Roger Stone uh, appeared at some GOP women's event over the weekend and was cheered as, as the messiah. I mean, he, he, you know, he's a traitor to his country. And, and if you work for the Kremlin, you're going to get a standing ovation in conservative circles these days. Yep. Um, if, you, if you sit down with the Taliban, you know, and, and al-Qaeda's the good guy, then sure, fine, let's do it, whatever you, know, whatever you say. Uh, you know, the quick point about the socialists, that was clearly it's going to be his 2020 uh, campaign slogan. The problem is it gets complicated because what, what did we see in polling last week? Well, a lot of Repu- I think a majority of Americans mm-hmm. think we should be taxing billionaires a heck of a, a heck of a lot more than they are. So Republicans sit back and laugh and say, "Well, we just have to say socialism." Uh, Medicare for all is an, is an extremely popular idea. Taxing people uh, who have offshore billions is an extremely popular idea. So it's not going to be as easy, but they're going to use it like a sledgehammer, no question. Let me take a uh, quick break here, and I'll use the opportunity to look up Heather's $5 word, perspicacious, that she uttered (laughs) earlier. And uh, and we'll come back with um, Stacey Abrams, uh, who gave the uh, Democratic rebuttal to the the State of the Union last night. We'll uh, hear from her and get Thoughts on her from my guests Eric Bullert and Heather Digby-Parton and maybe Desi Doyen. We'll see if we allow her to talk. <laughs> uh, I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to keep up the resistance, now more than ever. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. Our progress has always been found in the refuge, in the basic instinct of the American experiment. 
to do right by our people. And with a renewed commitment to social and economic justice, we will create a stronger America together. Because America wins by fighting for our shared values against all enemies, foreign and domestic. That is who we are. And when we do so, never wavering, the state of our union will always be strong. Together we'll stand, divided we'll fall. Come on now, people, let's get on the ball and work together. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Working together with you, I'm Brad Friedman, along with my guests Heather Digby-Parton and Eric Bullert. Uh, that was Stacey Abrams, the Georgia Democrat who would have been the nation's first African-American female governor, uh, giving the response to Donald Trump's State of the Union address on Tuesday night, uh, but for narrow lose, narrowly losing her contest to uh, Republican Secretary of State and champion vote suppressor, uh, Brian Kemp in Georgia in what simply cannot be seen, frankly, as a legitimate election, given all of the suppression in that race and the inability to count in any way, shape or form the state's 100 percent unverifiable touchscreen voting systems. Uh, Abrams offered what I thought, uh, and I realize this bar is decidedly very low here, but I thought it was hands down the best State of the Union rebuttal I have seen ever. Uh, here is just one clip uh, from her brisk 10-minute uh, response to the president on Tuesday night, and then we'll get thoughts on this from, uh, from our panel here. None of these ambitions are possible without the bedrock guarantee of our right to vote. Let's be clear. Voter suppression is real. From making it harder to register and stay on the rolls, to moving and closing polling places, to rejecting lawful ballots, we can no longer ignore these threats to democracy. While I acknowledge the results of the 2018 election here in Georgia, I did not, and we cannot, accept efforts to undermine our right to vote. That's why I started a nonpartisan organization called Fair Fight, to advocate for voting rights. This is the next battle for our democracy, one where all eligible citizens can have their say about the vision we want for our country. We must reject the cynicism that says allowing every eligible vote to be cast and counted is a power grab. That was a reference to uh, Mitch McConnell describing the uh, Democrats' H.R. 1 election reform bill in the U.S. House as a power grab. Uh, that was Stacey Abrams' response to uh, to Donald Trump. Uh, Heather Digby-Parton, uh, very quickly, we got just a minute or two left here. Uh, your thoughts on uh, Stacey Abrams' uh, response to Trump on Tuesday night? Well, I agree with you. I thought it was terrific, and I think she's terrific, and I think that what she stands for, and it's not just the fact that she's a, you know, an accomplished African-American female politician who is obviously, this is not the last we'll hear of her. Mm -hmm. um, it's also her message. I think that the substance of her message was really the way that all the presidential candidates should start to look at this. It's about you know, not being afraid to take it to the Republicans and Donald Trump about you know, what they're doing, but always pressing forward with an inspirational vision for the future. She's young. Um, she represents the future of the party. I think that that's really something that all of them, young or old as the candidates may be, uh, that they have to be thinking about, the, they have to talk about the future. It's got to be, uh, Democrats don't win 
when they're looking into the past. That's for Donald Trump to talk about the 50s when he was a kid. Democrats have to take a different approach, and I think that she exemplified it really well last night. Eric, your thoughts on Stacey Abrams' response? You know, I think one of the silver linings of this Trump nightmare we're living through is just the extraordinary uh, quality of Democratic candidates and leaders who have emerged just in the last two years. I mean, you look at the candidates from the from the midterm cycle; those were not the type of candidates Democrats have been able to recruit mm. uh, in, in recent years, and it, it, it just bodes really well. You know, Stacey Abrams is a star. I don't know if she's going to be a senator. I don't know if she's going to be in somebody's cabinet. Uh, she is a voice um, to be reckoned with, and and she appeals. You know, as Heather was talking before about the you know the independence in the suburbs. Look, 2020 is going to be all about the suburbs. You know, and and Stacey Abrams appeals to those people, particularly the women in. You know, Democrats, Democrats, you know, wipe the floor in the suburbs during the midterm cycle. If they can do that again, if they can bring that same message in the Trump year in 2020, um, you know, they're going to be in very good shape. Desi Doyen, uh, the uh, great or greatest response to a State of the Union address. Uh, <laughs> I would ever. say <laughs> the greatest. And what Digby and Eric said, I, I co-sign. Okay, there you go. That was easy. Uh, all right. Well, thank you uh, to all of you folks. Heather Digby-Parton, you can find her work over at Salon.com and Digby'sBlog.Blogspot.com. You should also follow her on the Twitters at Digby56. You can uh, read Eric Bollert's, Bollert's latest over at Daily Coast, and you can and should and must follow him on the Twitters as well. He is Eric Bollert. Uh, hey, thanks, guys. Really appreciate uh both of you joining us today on the broadcast my pleasure it was fun anytime you you'll be sorry you said that eric all right <laughs> that is it my thanks to our producer desi doyan to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us if you missed any portion of today's show or any other download it anytime for free at bradblog.com though we do greatly appreciate those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us stay on your public airwaves without being beholden to any uh, corporate or uh, political uh, foundation or support. So thank you. Bradblog.com slash donate. Drop me an email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Bradblog. That is it. Until we meet again tomorrow, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. <laughs> 